This is the Hockey News Podcast. So the Hockey News Podcast presented by BetMGM and McKenny Hockey. Ryan. Yes? What's the point of us even being here? Like, what is the point of us looking at hockey games, just like, like breaking them down, mm-hmm. you know, making predictions, writing our silly little articles, the Florida Panthers have made me, like, question the fabric of this sport. Like, they have... Right. Nothing... Have we been wrong about everything up until now? You know what's funny is, like, when I sit back and we, you know, we, we do this podcast, yeah. Florida with a commanding 3-0 Three nothing nothing lead, lead on Carolina. The Canes look completely flummoxed. They're done. Not necessarily a play, just flummoxed. No, like, they, they are rattled as they a team. They are rattled, yeah. it seems, from an outsider perspective. Yes. But when I look at the Florida Panthers, and yes, they are getting all-world goaltending from Sergei Bobrovsky. They're getting timely scoring, whether it's Matthew Kachuk or Sam Reinhart. Um, but then I also look at their defense, and you know, Carolina's getting their chances, mm-hmm. and in terms of high-danger chances, I think it was 12-3 in favor of Carolina yeah. in Game 3, and Bobrovsky obviously a big part of why the Canes did not score at all. But I look at how they comprised that defense core where you have the big crease clearers, mm-hmm. Mark Stahl, Radko Gudis. And Even I'll Ek- put Aaron Ek- Ekblad in Dude, there as Ekblad well. Ekblad is huge. And yeah. it's funny because I thought his playoffs started out rocky, but yes. he's been massive. And then you have the puck movers, Mahura, Montour, Forsling. Forsling yeah. So you got best of both worlds. And it just feels like... You know, with the exception of, you know, you're going to get a breakdown here or there, but it doesn't feel like Carolina is getting necessarily to the middle of the ice. Sometimes no, they'll get yeah. to the side of the net, uh, and this is more anecdotal, uh, but it feels like, and I, I always go back to, like, World Juniors, when a team would get upset that had a lot of firepower. Yeah. Um, it was always that they couldn't get to the middle, and mm-hmm. Russia was very good uh, in their heyday about taking away the middle of the ice if they're playing Canada, Team USA, you know, teams with a lot of firepower. Oh, Russia, throwback. Remember when they? Remember when we got to watch them play? Exactly. Crazy. Yeah. And and you know, and you add in players that are excellent two-way players for Florida. I mean, there's a bunch of them, starting with Sasha Barkov mm-hmm. and Kachuk as well, obviously. But it just feels like it's like, yeah, that's playoff hockey. And I know what you're saying, where it's like, why do we even make <laughs> predictions? Why do we play the regular season? But it really does feel like. The Panthers were getting into the groove where it's like, okay, well, we, the President's Trophy Panthers, it didn't work. We couldn't outscore people in the playoffs when the offense dried up. But mm-hmm. we can shut people down, and if we get the goaltending, which they are with Sergei Bobrovsky, then we can, you know, we can do it. And they're having, they're having so much fun. No pressure whatsoever. So it's like, eh, whatever. We sweep them, that's cool. We got to play five games, that's cool, whatever. And it, they're just in such a good place right now. That is what I think, I have so many responses to what you said because I agree with almost, like pretty much all of it. But like that is, I think, what the biggest, um, yeah, obviously you get the timely scoring from, from Matthew Duchuk. I mean, like two straight OT winners on yeah. the road to start it. Like that's, that's like legend status right there. Yeah. Like that is a, that is a like Michael Jordan type like, like putting your stamp on superstars, they get paid, and he's getting paid $9.5 million to like be the difference maker in those moments. It doesn't matter what they do, as long as they they score in those moments, they help the team win, and he did yeah. that. It's funny, because you bring up that President's Trophy team, 
And I think, and, and this is what I think the biggest impact of, uh, uh, I mean, obviously he's a 100-point player, incredible, yeah. whatever, but I think the biggest impact of having Matthew DeChuck there is, like, it's funny, like, ironically for a team that is named after a cat, like, that 20, that, that you know, that, that, that postseason, or the, the President's Trophy team, they didn't have that dog in them. Right, Like, right. they just did it. Like, it, it seemed like the weight of the world was always on their shoulders, because mm-hmm. you have that, you have the... All right, let's get one for Claude Giroux because he was there, you know. Oh, we just mortgaged our entire future for Giroux and and for Ben Sherratt, you know. Like, yeah. you know, President's Trophy team. There's all of these things. This team, like Matthew Duchamp comes in here and he is just so like effortlessly having. I I always say like I, I when I w- I wake up I'm an early bird. I wake up usually really early in the morning. And I can't watch every game, but I do watch, like, I, I will always watch the, like, 12-minute highlight pack that NHL, mm-hmm. the NHL puts out on their YouTube channel. This is usually for the regular season, but even, even if I watch the game, I'll watch it again. And I also watch a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, because I think not enough people watch it, and it gives us a little insight. Mm-hmm. And the most recent episode of the NHL on ESPN, like, Road to the Cup, where they cover, like, they sort of do, like, little behind-the-scenes segments for every team that is still in, and, and they focus on Matthew DeChuck, and that guy is just cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Like, he is just... He's just chilling. Like yeah. he's this is the most this is the most high leverage hockey he has ever played in his entire life. Mm-hmm. He's a seven this is the seventh year in the league. And he is, you know, this this he's he's what is it, five wins away now from a Stanley Cup. Yeah. But he's just chilling. He's having fun. And that has radiated to the Panthers. They are like they are just, you know, it's funny because every game that they win, like, they don't they don't outplay the team that they play against. Like it's they're, the, the, it's funny because like the, the the Hurricanes and the Leafs are very similar. Yeah. Like they are getting pushed to the outside. Yeah. They're getting goalied. They yeah. they they play like a you know possession heavy sort of like swarm type thing. And the Panthers have and they don't really have any like big disruptors to go in there like physical disruptors. Yeah. That is right down the Panthers alley. Yeah. And they are taking advantage of it completely. Like this is. This is maybe like the biggest like vibes run to the cup of all time. Like sure, yeah. even on Colorado, like there was there were injuries, you know, there there was like controversy, there was all that. This Florida team is just like surfing the USA on their way to the cup. It is yeah. so cool to see. I think I think they sweep. I really do. It it really feels like at this point they will. Yeah. And my I had one thought when I was okay. watching What was it? Uh, the other night, because it's like if you're Carolina, like at this point you need answers. You need to, you got to figure something out. And it feels like they're not getting a lot of point shots through because yeah. Florida's very good at defending. And that was their big thing with Brent Burns. Exactly. Yeah. So, and again, I'm not qualified, but I'm just saying this. Okay. The guy at the end of the bar, uh, put Brent Burns in front of the net. Yeah, pulled the uh, Bruins Chara 2013. Yeah, because he's a nasty guy. He's huge, and he's huge. He's usually the one doing the uh, you know the hacking and the whacking, the clearing, the clearing of the crease. Put him in front of the net. Give him a shot. Just cause chaos because clearly at this point Bobrovsky's so locked in that you're not going to beat him clean. No, you got to get those grimy goals, and you know, I mean, the the Hurricanes do have some guys that can do that, but they're not doing it right now. So I feel that if you put Burns in front, then maybe the Panthers, I mean, there's no reason for them not to keep doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if they cover the points as well as they do because they know Burns is in front or whatever, but I, I just feel you got to try something and maybe that would 
do something for you, you know, that, for longness. That works because you put the you put the the physical like just demanding presence of, mm -hmm. of Burns in front of the net, and, I, and just a battle of the beards if it comes to Radko Gudis mm. and Brent Burns net front battle. Like what I, if would, Velcro? I would, I would. What if you they know, get tied up? I mean, beard yeah. What if they get? Remember when Nazem Kadri fought Joe Thornton and like he took a chunk of his face with him, That's like right. he took a chunk of his beard with him? Yeah. That it'll be like that. Yeah. But you like you you have a guy in Shane Goss's bear who is sort of like. You know, like when it comes to generating offense or scoring chances from the point, he's mm. like a Brent Burns kind of light. Like you got him for that reason. Yeah, so yeah, put that. Burns in front of that. And like, then we're not even talking about like, you know, Jacob Slavin or Brent Pesci, guys like that, you know. But this is like, it, it just goes to show with me that like the, the Panthers are perfectly suited for to disrupt a team like this, like a team uh -huh. like like the 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 Hurricanes that is process driven, that is possess like you know possession focused, mm. that that you know does have a, have skill, they have a worker bee sort of mentality. But when it comes to like the dis like the disruptors, they're easy to get pushed to the to the outside, mm -hmm. you know. And then so it looks like they're getting goalie, and they are getting goalie. Like like Sergey Borowski, I believe in game two had the highest like. You know how they say like he saved. I think he saved five goals above expected, right. or five point eight or something, which is I believe either the second highest or the highest. No, the second highest under Thatcher Demko in the bubble when he went on that like career defining run. Yeah, that was wild. Um, it's the second highest in the analytics era. Wow. Like he is just dominating. And the craziest thing too is we talk about domino effects, and we also talk about why are we even here to predict things. Uh. Is Chicago beat Pitts the, the the last place like bottom of the barrel Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. I believe they like they beat with uh, with Peter Mrazek in that beat the uh, the 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 Pittsburgh Penguins mm -hmm. in game like 80 of the season. Yeah, that eliminated the Penguins from playoff con um, contention, put and put the uh, uh, the Panthers in the playoffs by one point, and therein gave Chicago the odds to win the first overall pick. That might be the wow. biggest that the swing game. That might have that one win. Yeah, that that meaningless for them at least. Yeah, game 80. Ta like like tank of the tank year, yeah. Peter Morazic, like first line center Jason Dickinson, like you know nothing win against the Penguins literally could have could decide this year's Stanley Cup and this year's first overall pick. Wow, that might be the biggest butterfly effect one moment in NHL history. Indeed. Crazy. So yeah, like I do you think they sweep? Uh, for some reason, I feel like it's gonna go five because I. You know, it just feels like Carolina is too good not to win any games in this series. But at the same time, like, what have the Panthers presented to me other than flawless hockey so far? So it's hard to bet against Florida at this point. Well, it's funny because it's not even flawless hockey, but it is opportunistic hockey. That's true. That that's, is, a fair, that's a good way of putting it. And that is the best type of hockey to play in the playoffs. Yeah, they're basically like, if we can score one or two goals, we will oh. win. Well, yeah, they, they won two nothing last night. The other one was an empty netter after a Panthers player murdered a guy. You know, right. like, but like, just what what the Panthers are so deadly at is like, and it's not even rope doping. It's like they will they will let you punch them. Yeah. But the second, like the split second, you like move your eye to one side, you bring your fist down even an inch, yeah. they they will like rip your heart out and come yeah. up, like you know and look it at you like oh, yeah. crazy crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think they see. All right, another the other series which I think is getting lost in the shuffle, but it's still a very good series, mm -hmm. is Dallas and Vegas, mm -hmm. um, and these are two extremely fun. You know, uh, 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 like stacked teams. They're going against each other. I love it. All the games have been close. Yeah. Um, 
man, what do we think? Because Vegas, you know, they're out to a commanding lead. Yeah. It seemed like Jack Eichel is showing why he took, you know, like the package and the money he got, like is worth it. It's he, he showed he's showing them why it, it, it like it was worth. The, the Knights basically committing like tax fraud to stay cap compliant for the last like year and a half or so. Right. He's proving like, oh, that was, that was well, that was worth it. That was yeah. done. Um, Mark Stone, J- Jonathan March is so love it. And then on the other side, it seems like Dallas's big guns have still been dormant and yet they're, they're, they're finding a way to sort of make it close. This could go either way, I think. I think so. And it's, you know, it's game three is always pivotal because it's like, yeah, Dallas is down 2 nothing, but they haven't played at home yet. And I know this has been a very much road playoffs. Teams mm, have been very yeah. good on the road. This is the year of the road team, man. Year of the road team. But having said that, you know, Dallas gets last change. And, you know, Jason Robertson has scored in both games in this series. Yes. And he had been on a bit of a cold streak beforehand. So mm. that's a good sign. You know, Ruby Hintz is playing very well. Um, I, you know, I do think that there's going to be a breakthrough for Dallas. Uh, they, it just feels like you better hope it's in game three, because if you go down three, nothing, then it's like just psychologically and everything, it makes it so much harder to come back. And that's why it's so rare that, uh, teams actually do. Um, but both games going into overtime and, you know, it's pretty amazing. You think about game two, Dallas is up two one with less than three minutes to go. Ryan Suter with, you know, a Bonehead play. Oh, man. Leads directly to, you know, Eichel making that great feed. Vegas ties it up. The rest is history. So we easily could have been Mm 1-1 heading into Dallas, but we are not. But it does feel, at least with this series, you know, when you look at those two teams, it's like, okay, well, it's been really evenly matched, and it doesn't feel like Vegas was, like, hanging on and, you know, just depending on Aiden Hill the way mm-hmm. Florida, you know, did with Bobrovsky as their last line of defense, although Aiden Hill has been very good. Better than we could ever have hoped him to be. And it's kind of funny, like, you know, Aiden Hill, I, I think we've seen, we've seen these flashes before. It's not out of nowhere, but it, to me it's kind of funny that Vegas, you know, they could win the Stanley Cup this year mm-hmm. with Aiden Hill in it. This is a franchise that in its very short history has had Marc-Andre Fleury, Robin Lehner, they do have Jonathan Quick, but they could win the Stanley Cup with Aiden Hill in net. And I think it just speaks to... We're forgetting Logan Thompson. And Logan Thompson just, coming just, out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Saving uh, them. Saving like, them. Yeah. yeah where where the would they be? They wouldn't be here if you... They would not. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's, it's just so interesting that the goalie position is so fascinating because it could just be a matter of Aiden Hill was the guy they needed at this specific yeah. time to give them, you know, the goaltending required uh, to just move through. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, Eichel's been amazing. Mark Stone's been amazing. It, it, it is kind of fun, too, where you have, like, the OGs, like Marcia yeah. So and yeah. Riley Smith and, like, Braden McNabb is still on the back Yeah, they've end. been there from yeah. the start. And then you get the new guys, Stone and Eichel, being the most prominent, where it's like, ah, that's Shea, what they Shea need. Theodore was there from the start, too, right? Shea yeah, Theodore yeah, was there okay, from the yeah. start as well, yeah. Um, where Stone and Eichel, it's like, yeah, this was like, you know, the evolution where it's like, yeah, you know, William Carlson had 40 goals that first year. Uh, but, you know, that was, that was kind of a big shock. Oh, that... You know, Eichel yeah. and Stone, they were known quantities. This is like, these are the guys putting us over the top. We've been building towards it. You know, first Petrangelo was the big name. Um, but Eichel and Stone have just been amazing. And, you know, it, it's nice. I know Buffalo fans will disagree, but it, it's nice for me to see Eichel having success. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, in the summer when uh, they did the media tour, Mark Stone was saying how hard it was 
for Eichel to come in last year yeah. where it's like, okay, Jack, you no longer have to do anything by yourself. And then everybody got injured. It's like, actually, Jack, you have to do everything by yourself. Oh, and by the <laughs> way, you underwent like a experimental neck replacement procedure yeah, basically yeah. like six months ago. Yeah. No, no pressure though. So it's nice yeah. to see Eichel surrounded by talent, you know, making the most of his talent and actually getting rewarded for it. Yeah, and you know what's funny because you have to give Vegas credit for because everyone talks about yeah they had a great first year and they went to the Cup final. I looked like I, it, it popped up on my Twitter feed the other day and I and it was the like the lines of them uh, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights lines af- right after the expansion draft. That was not a good team. Like or at least that like at least on paper. On paper. Yeah. And even in even knowing what we know now, looking there like William Carrier was like you know first line left wing you know right. or something. It was. What they've done is they have built an incredible sort of uh, uh, like like scaffolding kind of around yeah. these players. They brought in, you know, like you said, the Mark Stone became their captain and their leader, Shea Theodore. You know, but they've drafted guys like Nick Hague. You know, they've drafted yeah. uh, uh, trade. You know, made big trades for like you said, like with Eichel. But even like small waiver pickups, like Michael Amadio, like. Yep. That guy was an afterthought. He played in Toronto. He was an afterthought. They put mm. him on waivers thinking, ah, he'll like literally just play in the Marlies for the rest of the year. They pick him up, and he's, he's I believe he scored a, w- a game winner this year. He's, yep. it, kudos to them. And I think we've got to, that, to the, uh, the sort of nucleus of my existential crisis with playoff, goal, uh, playoff uh, sort of success here is uh-huh. that it is all down to the fact that the goaltending position is probably the most chaotic position in sports. Like, even with a pitcher. Yeah, like, maybe place kicker in football. That might be the only one maybe. where you can say, like, how did that guy miss a 17-yarder yes. after okay, yeah. kicking five 50-yarders in a row, that sort of thing. Exactly. But then, but even then, it's like, okay, but he only the maximum amount of points he can, he can have, or maximum amount of points influence he can have at one time is, like, three. Right. You know, like, at, where, in a game where, you know, you average, like, a combined, like, I think it's, like, 60 points or something, oh. or 50 points. Whereas, like, a, like a goaltender, as we're seeing with Aiden Hill, as we're seeing, you know, with, with even, like, Sergey Bobrovsky, like, yeah. he did not have a good year this year. No. And yet, he is, as we saw with, early in the show, like, he is putting, he put up, the, he's having the most dominant, second most dominant run of any goaltender since we started tracking analytics. Yeah. You know, like, it is crazy. And, I th- and even with Aiden Hill, like, he is, yes, he's shown flashes, but he's shown flashes of being an NHL goaltender. He's never shown right. flashes of stardom. Right. Like, let's be clear. He's ne- it's never been like, oh, Aiden Hill, he's the next guy. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, oh, Aiden Hill, he can, he can tend to goal. Yeah. He has more AHL games than NHL games played in his career, and yet he seems to be just the perfect guy to put in the net and give him a chance to win. It's amazing. And yeah. Dallas, on the other hand, what has really impressed me is I was, I was pretty down on, on and it, it is funny how it's a, it's a rematch now, but I was... I was kind of down on Peter DeBoer, right? Um, just with the way that that Vegas' season ended last year. Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of, I, you know, he he just kind of didn't seem like a very interesting candidate for for the Stars. Mm. I've been blown away by by his coaching, not just this season, but in the playoffs as well. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about DeBoer is he's a veteran coach, yeah. and you know, for for Dallas, they didn't want to do anything radical, yeah. right? Because they had all the pieces and, and some guys were continuing to, to ascend, whether it's Robertson or Hintz, uh, and then Wyatt Johnston as well uh, as a young guy. So you just wanted a steady hand. You just needed yeah. a slightly different voice and maybe somebody that had a little, you know, their systems were different, you know, because we saw Rick Bonus have a lot of success in the mm-hmm. postseason with Dallas. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it doesn't always have to be a, a fun, like, 
you know, groundbreaking choice. Sometimes you just need a, a steady hand, and I think that's what DeBoer's given them. He's given, he's being just, I think it seems like the perfect steady hand for this group. Like, he just, yeah. his voice seems to have, like, aligned with the way that they carry themselves. And I don't, I, I honestly think it, it's not a surprise that, like, the veteran players have, have undergone resurgences of the, yeah. like, respective resurgences. Like, with, like, Sagan, who, you know, he didn't have a great year statistically, but it was better than what his training, uh, what he was training at, you know, the last couple of years. And he's really year. evolved his game. He too. has, like, yeah. from a, in a two-way sense. Yeah. And then Jamie Benn having like, argu- like, potentially a career year. Totally. Like, did he, I, he? He came. He came close to the amount of points this year that he had when he won the Art Ross. You yeah. Know? And I wonder. It feels like this Dallas group because they have so many veterans, and you know, Joe Pavelski obviously being another great one. It feels like a group that probably doesn't need a lot of no coaching up. So. And again, maybe that's sort of the key is DeBoer is more somebody that they can bounce ideas off of. And uh, and obviously he provides the structure and the systems. But, you know, these guys already have buy-in. Because for a lot of them, they've waited a long time to either get a Stanley Cup ring or get another one in the case of Sagan. Yeah, DeBoer is almost like a TA, you know, it's where it's sort of just like, like, look, yeah, I get your, I, yes, you're technically in, like, a position of power, but, like, we're basically on the same level here. Like, right, you're, right. like, how much different are, like, Jamie, Ben, and Pierre DeBoer get in a room together. It's just like, yeah, technically your job is that you're my boss, but, like, you're, you're, just, a, you're just a student, yeah. you know? Like, it's the same thing. Like, right. it's, that's all you really need, just someone to sort of usher you through right. and keep you on track when it's, like, you know, February 18th and you have a back-to-back in St. Louis and it's yeah. snowing, you're like, oh, you know, he's just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, all right, Ryan, look, we'll talk about it, okay? It. All right, we'll do it. We'll talk about it. Jeez, <laughs> um, uh, the, the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have parted ways with Kyle Dubas. And yeah. it's important that we, we, we note that the Toronto Maple Leafs have parted ways with uh-huh. Kyle Dubas. Not, Dubas is not returning. Right. They parted ways with him. Right. Um, I was at the press conference. Um, it was truly one of the most surreal media experiences I've had, just in the sense that it has gone against this decision and this and the way that they went about it, and then the ex- explanation after has gone against basically ev- every single way the Toronto Maple Leafs have operated, business-wise, procedural-wise, under the Shani under the Shani plan, the Shana right. plan. Um, and it was also the first time we had heard publicly from Brendan Shanahan in over a calendar year. Um, so crazy stuff. <clears throat> Where do you want to even start with this? Hmm. I mean, for me, it, it is, it's obviously very interesting how it all went down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was going to be a big topic one way or another because yeah. there was going to be some things that... Kyle Dubas would have had to deal with if he stayed on. Yeah. And I don't know one way or another if he would have wanted to do them. You know, retaining Sheldon Keefe as coach would be number one because obviously they have such a history together. Uh, would, would he have wanted to re-sign Justin Hall? I don't know. I don't know the insider, like who's in favor of certain players and who is not. I don't have that information, so I'm not going to pretend. But, you know, that would be another decision. Do they want to trade one of the core four? Again, I don't know if Dubas would want to do that and if ownership had another take on it. I'm so, glad that you bring up ownership because that's going to be a big point in what we're talking about it here. It certainly yeah. will be. And, and then, of course, the dynamics of if you are the next GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, how much autonomy do you really have? Um, these are all very good questions that we don't have answers to right now. And obviously, it's going to be 
um, you know, a massive offseason for Brendan mm-hmm. Shanahan. Um, I will say, just in my opening remarks here, okay. I don't think the sky's falling no. the way people think it is. This is a team that, yeah, they needed some tweaks, um, but they still have a really potent roster. It's, it's not a particularly old roster, even though they do have veterans like Mark Giordano. Um, you know, this is a team that could win the Stanley Cup next year with some modifications. And, of course, as we've seen in the playoffs, a little bit of luck, a little bit of uh, good timing. Um, so I'm not, I'm not as worried as a lot of people are, but it's, it's certainly fascinating to see it all play out. Look, I applaud your, um, I would say, optimism in this because I think it's kind of like I, I do, I'm looking at this as like if, if you're someone who's invested in the long-term success of the Toronto Maple Leafs, or even the immediate success of the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, this is a disaster. Uh, and it's not even a disaster. In the, like, I've been a big supporter of Kyle Dubas. Mm-hmm. He's definitely not a perfect executive. He is way too loyal to some of his, to, you know, some of his players. There's a reason why the Kerfoots and the Halls, you know, and, and everything have stuck around through all this. Uh, um, when, you know, there are, when there have been moves to move them out that have either been vetoed or, like, yeah. you know, or just, like, sort of... They, they gave up a 40-goal score to keep Alex Kerfoot at the expansion draft, you know? Like, and that was a Dubas, Dubas right. situation, and that's, that's a potentially, like, you know, that any other... In another market, that potentially costs you your job, that kind of uh, decision. Yeah. Um, where I'm coming at it from is... Uh, uh, this is an off-season where, at least from, like, in, from a foundational sense, not from an on-eye sense, but like from a, a, I would say, like administrative sense. Um, I would say stability is needed most. There is going to be a lot of change in the Toronto Maple Leafs, like roster. No matter, even if Dubas came back, there's going to be a lot of change. Again, I'm not an insider, but you know, I I do get privy to certain information I feel confident to talk about. And like, it seemed like it was like a 75-25 that Mitch Marner was going to get traded. Um, it seemed like it was a 70, it was like a 90-10 that Sheldon Keefe was going to go. Yeah. I still think it's now a 95-5 that, sure. he's, go, that he's going. Um, there were going to be, there are, no matter what, there are going to be huge decisions, especially because, you know, you can't bring, like, I was, I was the guy who asked the first question of Matthews at, at Media Day about his contract. He's like, I literally can't even talk about it. Like, right. I, like I'm two <laughs> years away. Yeah. He's like, I get you have to ask it, but, yeah. but you can't have him at Media Day. You can't have him at training camp going into the final year of his contract. Uh-huh. You need to get an extension done. The only time I can ever see it with a, with a player of that sort of like ilk is Pasternak from last year, uh-huh. where he signed in like January or whatever. But ev- even still, like it is, you have to, you have to get him under contract. Th- this is going to be, like we have no idea what the Leafs are going to look like. Even if Dubas stayed, we had no idea what the Leafs were going to look like at the start of next season. Like, mm-hmm. like J- uh, Tavares is going to stay, but like, if Matthews says he doesn't want to re-sign, then, then he's, you have to trade him. He's gone. Yeah. Mitch, Marner, they both, Mitch Marner was almost certainly going to get traded. I'm not sure anymore now because I believe it was Chris Johnson reported that Shanahan um, called all the big four, basically, and told them what was happening, and they're all under the impression that they're all coming back now. Oh. Um, so there's just, like, so much churning, and there's no – and what is what – is, and I wrote a column about it is that you can call the Leafs whatever you want. You can call them soft. You can call them pedantic. You can call them, you know, uh, uh, th- you know they don't have that dog in them, all that kind of yeah. stuff. But from an organizational standpoint, you can never call them or- disorganized, mm-hmm. and you can never call them, I would say, like, unprofessional. 
uh, in the way that they conduct business, that has, that has been a complete inverse in the last week. They used to set the narrative and then have everyone else sort of react to it yeah. or whatever. They are now scrambling to respond to the narrative. They are leakier than ever. If I'm getting information, this is a leaky ship, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the rot has to go down a couple levels to hit me, right, okay? Right. Um, and it, and then when, when Brandon Shanahan steps up to that podium, and yes, he's extremely candid about it, but it seems to be from his side, and it seems to be pointed. And if you go back and watch it, like the way that he, he says, I certainly didn't think he was gonna, when it came to Dubas, you know, having to talk with his family. Um, the way he says public, like I certainly didn't think he was gonna, he was gonna go public. He, the way he says public, it's, I think Steve Dangle tweeted this, this, is the way that like Lucius Malfoy says Potter in the, <laughs> Potter. You know, like he was, he seemed genuinely bitter. Yeah. You never used, even if there was discontent and there has been discontent between those two or even in the front office or whatever, um, they're at least, like, you know, they at least was always kept behind closed doors. Yeah. Never, like, they did a very good job of battening down the hatches. And even if there was fervor, yeah. they, they handled it internally. Now that is completely out the window. And, like, right after the, the press conference, like, I was talking to someone who would know. And he's like, there are, like, A, the news of Spezza resigning happened. And then I talked to the person, and they were like, there are a lot of unhappy people. Yeah. And we don't even, and now we don't know. Because Dubas has left his mark on every single like pillar of this organization: the athletic trainers, the sports science division, everything. Like mm -hmm. we like you bring in a new person, like, he's going to look at all his support staff, and they're all the the. It's like they're all the people that your predecessor left. Are you going to yeah. gut everything? Like mm -hmm. we have, and that's the thing we have no idea. Right. So now in a summer where like the biggest decisions in recent franchise history needed to be made you have ripped out the heart or at least, at least like the engine yeah. that was keeping the, like the, uh, the machine running. And it's just like, it's chaos. And then some of the names that are being brought up are mm -hmm. just like, if you're a Leafs fan enough to slam your head into a wall, because Shannon's like, we want a, a you know, we, we want a, 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 an experienced guy. Yeah. And you look at the experienced guys who are available and you go, there's a reason why they're available. Yeah. And it's just like, it just seems like this, this is, it just, it feels like the Nonus years. It feels mm -hmm. like the Carlisle years. It feels like, you know, the leakiness and the disorganization and the, the sort of, I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel great around the least right now, I gotcha. would say. I will say the one name out there that I would go to the mat for is Brad Living. Really? Yes. And here's why. Okay. You look me. at Calgary, and we talked about this a lot this season. The two reasons that they failed to make the playoffs were Jacob Markstrom falling off a cliff. Yes and Daryl Sutter's coaching, mm -hmm. which it really, we now get the impression that that was not Brad Living's call, that was ownership's call to keep Daryl Sutter on. So if you strip away that decision, you are left with a Brad Living that was faced with losing his top two players, mm -hmm. in Gaudreau and Kachuk, mm -hmm. and filling that with Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, and Nazem Kadri, which I think any GM would say, he did a bang-up job there. Mm -hmm. So if you're the Leafs, if you want stability, you can get stability there. If you want a guy that's going to make a big move and be bold about it, like if they did want to move Mitch Marner, who has the guile to make that sort of trade? It's Brad Living. Now, if you wanted to go in a different direction, um, you know, the name Eric Tulski oh, has been is... out there. And I know that's who the kids are looking at. But I, I will say, Eric Tulski is a very good 
uh, option. He's not experienced. He's the in best the, option. Yeah. Far and away. Yeah, because if you look at him, you know, assistant GM in Carolina, coming from an analytics background, mm -hmm. I build a chemistry background. If we're gonna be, a I'm saying like Eric Tolsky should be like solving climate change. He shouldn't be sure. in an NHL. This is the smartest guy in the league. There you go. But what I like about Eric Tulski uh, is that he's done a little bit of everything in Carolina. So mm -hmm. he's he knows the pro scouts with the Hurricanes, but he also has worked on contracts. Yes. Uh, he has worked on the cap. So he's well-rounded there. It's kind of funny. Like sometimes people will throw out names of uh, people in hockey that do one thing very yes. well. They'll say like, well, that guy's an amazing head scout. He should be a GM. Well, it's like, well, it's not the same job. No, definitely right? not. Right? You know, it, not taken away from that, those people. That's what befell Jim Benning, really. He was the scouting guy, He's and there. then you have all these other jobs. Right. So Eric Tulski, I feel, uh, is unique, not uniquely situated, but he's definitely in a good position where he could step into that role. Uh, he's been working, you know, obviously with Don Waddell mm -hmm. in Carolina, who's been around for a long time and is very well respected. So for Tulski, this feels like the next step where it's like, okay, you've seen it all now. You've worked in all these different sectors. Now it's time for you to put it together for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's another excellent option. It, th those are the two sides of the coin. If you want your experienced guy who's done it before and is, has made bold moves, Bradshaw Living is there. If you want to go in a different direction, uh, a newer direction, which doesn't seem like they do right now, but mm -hmm. hey, things change. Yeah. Eric Tolsky is the obvious candidate on that side. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I would like for my meal tonight, I would love to have like a medium rare like filet mignon that's being blessed by the gods of poultry or whatever or not i would poultry, but that's or okay. not poultry uh, <laughs> of beef i i Saint had Lawrence a, markets right it was it was a meat it was a meat word in my mouth and i i messed it up oh, but or i could have you know a very uh, like a, a a delicious like you know a uh, fast food pizza like that's right. what that's kind of how i compare the two like tolski is like he if you get him he's arguably an upgrade over Dubis in my wow. eyes like he is you know, the, he's he's it's, it's kind of like an open secret that he's like the shadow GM right. in, in, in Carolina. Carolina. And look at what he's been able to do with, with like just half the resources basically that he yeah. would have in Toronto. So that's like pie in the sky. With Bradshaw Living, look, yes, he has maneuvered under pressure. Great. The one thing I will say is like we, we have now learned again how involved the MLSE board is, yeah. how involved ownership is. They have literally negated or forced Dubas to make trades that he doesn't want to. Mm. They have ne either negated trades he wants to make or they have forced him um, um, to make a trade that he doesn't want to make. Mm. Um, and that is a big reason why, uh, uh, you know, that is a big reason why essentially he, he left or why he did that last minute sort of like play for autonomy because he's like, yeah. I'm tired of what drove Brad for a living out of, out of Calgary. Mm -hmm. Friction with ownership. Yeah. not being able to make the moves he wants to make. And what happened last year, it was a disaster, you know? And, and uh, uh, you know, so I think, and, and it seemed to end so poorly that like for a while they were holding him hostage and not letting him interview for certain places. Right. So that, like, I think he's been fine as like a hockey executive. Yeah. Um, but then I look at like, okay, well, the biggest thing is gonna be, you know, someone who's able to work with sort of ownership because we are now realizing just how involved the MLSE board is. Mm. Well, that's literally what just befell him in his old, in, in his previous stop. So I don't know how confident I would be if I'm a Leafs fan mm. of being like, yeah, we're bringing on this new guy. Oh, why was he available? Oh, he didn't get along with ownership. Cool. Why did our, why is he even have a, have a, you know, an opening to replace, to replace, uh, uh, you know, our, our former GM. Oh, well, our former GM to get, get along with ownership. Oh, cool. So it's the same problem. So yeah. it just seems, 
I don't know, Tulski, if you can get Eric Tulski, give him a blank check. Like I said, I, I think you're even in a better spot than you were with Dubas. Tulski mm -hmm. is literally the smartest person in the league. He has helped build a, a behind the scenes, helped build a, a, a franchise that um, is one of the, like the, the AAA premier franchises just from a hockey operations and business perspective. Um, that would be phenomenal. But I don't know. And there's just like, there's just so much discontent at a time where you need sort of unity and clarity to make these decisions that will dictate where your organization goes in the next 10 years. Yeah. And this is the worst time to take that sort of, that, that, that vital, like, pro, like pro, those vital processors out, you know, right. of the computer. It just seems like the worst time. Yeah. That's, that's why, if you're a Leafs fan, I think there should be some anxiety around this. Not because like, Really, at the end of the day, like how much of a difference is like trailing do is going to be? Like they're both going to sign players, and blah, 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 and we uh -huh. all know that you know Joseph Wall can turn into you know like Jock Plant out of nowhere right. and leave them. Like who cares? But like there is a there is something to like the workplace, and I do think sure. that they need that sort of synergy, and there's just none right now. Crazy. Right. Um, all right, actually, I believe uh, uh, you know I, I got a great text from our producer mid uh, mid podcast. Uh, that Craig Conroy has officially been named Calgary Flames general manager. In addition, uh, Dave Nonis has joined the organization as senior vice president of hockey operations and assistant general manager mm -hmm. while the changes have been made, uh, uh, while title changes have been made for Chris Snow and Brad Pascal. Mm -hmm. um, so huge, sort huge changes in the, uh, uh, the Calgary Flames sort of front office. We knew that the Conroy uh, um, sort of hiring or, or I would say promotion yeah. has been coming for a while. He's been with the organization for like the last 14 years. Mm -hmm. He's been there for a long time uh, and he also played with them on two different stints. Um, I think we knew yesterday that Nonis was coming along and then different changes obviously for Chris Snow who's battling MS uh, or sorry ALS I ALS, believe it is yep. and, uh, um, and Brad Pascal. but mate I, I would just say give me your thoughts on, uh, on the, the, now the Craig Conroy era in Calgary. Yeah, I, I think Flames fans should feel pretty confident on this. You know, Craig Conroy is somebody that, I mean, for years I've, I've seen him, you know, sort of on the road at, at big events and things like that. He certainly put in the work since he retired as a player. And, you know, he was a fan favorite in Calgary mm -hmm. because of the way he played and the success he had there. Um, you know, Bradshaw Living said some very nice things about uh, Conroy the other day when asked. And this does sort of feel like, you know, when you're, when you're building an organization, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, for the most part, there is room for growth and there is room for promotion if you do the work. <laughs> and again, you know, going back to Calgary, one of the big problems did seem to be the disconnect uh, with Daryl Sutter and his players. Uh, that's not Craig Conroy's problem now because Sutter yep. was dismissed already. So he can bring in his guy, and we've said it on this podcast numerous times, Mitch Love would be my first pick. Wait, like, he should already be there, I think. Yeah, 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 maybe that's the next call. I Who have knows? no idea. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is a Flames team that, a lot of good elements, and they should should certainly be a playoff team again next year. And, you know, yeah, questions and goals, certainly. Things need to be done there. But, uh, you know, maybe with the new coach, we see more young players getting chances. Maybe we see more Dustin Wolf next year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, spelling Jacob Markstrom. I mean, you know, it's really funny. Sergey Bobrovsky was basically Jacob Markstrom yeah. a couple of years ago, where it was like, oh my God, this is the worst contract in NHL history. You can never trade this. Uh, and now Bobrovsky might lead Florida to their first ever Stanley Cup. Yeah. So, you know, Markstrom's under contract uh, long term. They 
you're not going to move him right now. Uh, but in the right situation, we've seen very good Jacob Markstrom in the past. Uh, Vesna caliber Jacob Markstrom in mm -hmm. the past. So for Calgary, it, you know, it, it's, it feels like True Living kind of fell on his sword there uh, because he's in a bad situation. Uh, Conroy, I think, enters in a much better situation because, you know, he can bring in his own guy behind the bench. And, you know, Dave noticed, talking about experience, this guy that's been around the league for a very long time. He's been a GM. He's held a various amount of posts. Uh, that's what we're seeing these days, right? It's not just one GM. It's kind of funny, like, you know, back when I was growing up, sometimes the coach and the GM were the same person. And it's like, you could do that back then. It was pre-salary cap, but that would boggle the mind now, yeah. just well, in terms of how much work you need. Well, it was World War II, so. It's true. Yeah. You know, we were rationing everything. Yeah. 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 Um, Got him. Anyway, boom. continue. <laughs> Roasted. Uh, but, you know, having said that, you know, now it, you need that support staff. You need the, you, the whole analytics department. Yeah. You need your capologist. Senior guys uh, can really help just bouncing ideas off, things like that. Uh, so I, I think Calgary is in a good spot. And now it's just a matter of, you know, getting your guy behind the bench and figuring out goaltending one way or another. I don't necessarily think they're going to figure out goaltending in the summer. Yes. Maybe they do something bold, but at least you, have you go in. Wolf. You have Dustin Wolf. Yeah. Like, so first 20 games of the season, you know, you see how Markstrom's going, you see how Wolf's going, and if you've got to make a big change at that point, then maybe you'd make a big trade. You have the best goalie prospect in the league. Like, give yeah. him a shot. He's, yeah. he is, he's back, you know, he's incredible. He's, he's and, being, Mitch, and if Mitch Love is your coach, Mitch Love knows. And I'm very confident that Mitch Love is the guy to sort of usher that in. And yep. Yeah, look, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on, like, the other sort of ancillary changes around here. Like, I think that Craig Conroy has proven that he, is, he's, he deserves a chance here. He's been there for a decade. He's put in the work. He's, uh, his, his biggest role, like, just from reading up stuff on him this morning in, in anticipation of this announcement, like, his biggest role was identifying, like, college free agents mm. to sign. And he is someone who has helped them get, like, Matt Coronado. Uh, Coronado is a draft pick. Yeah, but he yeah. came from... College. Came from college, like in terms of scouting. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was big there, but like also like helping them like scout Johnny Goudreau even at, at mm. the time, who was a fifth round pick and ended yeah. up being a franchise face for a while. So uh, uh, that's sorry, I meant like getting free agents, but also like scouting America. America basically yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and he is American. And I think that Dave Nonis, on the other hand, and look, a lot can change in a decade. Mm -hmm. You know, there, we've seen a lot of times where people, you know, they get fired, they go. They go on like their sort of Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat. They, they learn a lot. They dedicate themselves to a new sort of strain of, of, of hockey and they come back and they're a different person. Um, but Dave Nonis, you know, lasted, I believe it was three full seasons in Toronto and plunged that organization into the dark ages. He did the, he did the, the, the hockey version of burning the, the Library of Alexandria. Um, and just sort of like ma like salted the fields right. in, in Toronto, basically. Um, so I'm glad. So that's why I prefaced it in that like maybe he has gone on like a spiritual journey there you go. and like dedicated himself to the math and the law. You know, and, yeah. and he's like, oh, I'm more enlightened hockey person now. But based on his track record, maybe not the most confident that this guy should be in front of office. But hey, hey. Who knows? Different role. He, yeah. Look, he's more qualified than I am. That's there all I'll go. say. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of uh, uh, potential coaching uh, hires, Washington. That's a big. Yeah. That's sort of a big, uh, like hot button because you need a coach basically to usher Ovechkin into the last. Like you're hoping that this is going to be the coach that will be there in the last years of the Ovechkin era. Yeah. Potentially hope get him get him one more cup. He'll be there when he uh, when he sets the goal record next year. Almost you know almost certainly. Um, there are a couple names. 
You know, you mentioned Jeff Halpern per the Athletics, uh, Tariq Al-Bashir. Another one is Spencer Carberry, mm-hmm. who used to be in their system. He was the head coach of the Hershey Bears. Yes. It seems like he's going to get hired somewhere no matter what. Like, he's currently the, the assistant coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he's almost certain. It's funny. Like, Washington came to town. Um, I think it was, like, January or something. And a, a lot of Washington traveling media came. And they specifically were focused on asking Sheldon Keefe questions about Spencer Carberry. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, that's very interesting. It yeah. seems like this is something that has been in the works for a while. Yeah. And it's interesting because I remember when Spencer Carberry was with Hershey, mm-hmm. uh, I went to see the Bears play the Marlies in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I just, I came away, just the way that he talked about players, I came away thinking like, man, like there's something here. Like yes. Maybe, and, and the timing wasn't right in Washington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think this was just as Boudreaux was leaving mm-hmm. and it was like, ooh, or maybe it was Trotz, I can't remember. Um, but it was like, ooh, it's just a little early for this guy, yeah. but it's too bad because you can tell there's something there. He didn't have a lot of high-end talent in Hershey, but yeah. he was getting results. And then, you know, with Toronto, obviously he's worked on the power play, uh, which has been very good in the yes. past couple of years. Um, and I think, you know, from what I've heard, maybe the Rangers are yeah, they're circling looking him at too. him as well. The Rangers are circling Mike Babcock, apparently. Hey, so there's anyone, know, everyone's in the mix for no that. No bad job. ideas. Maybe there are I bad ideas. I mean, there are a couple bad ideas, there but yeah, bad we'll ideas. see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no bad ideas. Yeah. Yes. Um, Shut up, man. Sorry. Yeah. I don't even look at me. Right yeah, now. our our producer is like head in hands yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. Hey, once a week I got to do it. Oh, I know. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, Spencer Carberry was definitely somebody that I've had my eye on yep. as a head coach. Uh, you know, young guy, and he's got great experience now. He's been a head coach in the AHL. He's been an assistant coach at the NHL level. Um, it's an interesting fit because Washington's certainly a team that looks like they're on their way out, uh, and he is a young coach. And, you know, you make a good point about Ovechkin. And, hey, I mean, if he can get Ovechkin even more power play goals, then that boom that helps everybody. Um, but he's also, I think he could be that transition guy because he knows some of the young players, uh, whether it's Brett Leeson or Alexi Proteus um, or Protus, Connor McMichael. Like, he's coached all those guys. Uh, but we're going to start seeing more young players come into Washington, I'm sure, in the, in the next couple of years. And then Jeff Halpern's interesting because... Yes. He's been mentioned for head coaching positions for a very long time, it seems. And you look at the su- success Tampa has had with yeah. him as, you know, as an assistant coach. Derek Lalonde obviously moved from Tampa to head coach in Detroit. Um, you know, looks like he's going to be a, a great success there with the Red Wings. Halpern is always that guy where I always see him behind the bench and be like, When's that guy going to get a yeah. chance? Because, you know, him and John Cooper have obviously worked together for years. And John Cooper, uh, kind of the gold standard at this point, yeah. I would say, of NHL coaches. So it, it really feels like that would be another great option. And Jeff Halpern, former Washington Capitals player. Mm-hmm. So that dovetails nicely as well. Yeah, it just seems like, you know what? Like, Washington is re- is in, like, a very odd position right now where they have these veteran players, so you have to keep a contention window open. But they mm-hmm. also do have, like, a couple of, you know, promising young guys coming in as well. I mean, like, you got Rasmus Sandin, who played incredible for you down the stretch. Totally. And, you know, it, it seems like they want to re-sign Dmitry Orlov, you know, in the offseason and stuff like that. And, you know, you, they still have, for the first time in a while, they have their first-round pick. And, and it's like... It's going to be a high there. one, yeah. yeah. It's going to be fun for their scouts. So it'll be very, very interesting. Uh, yeah, their scouts finally get to work. Like, it's shout great. Out, <laughs> shout out to Ross Mahoney, the yeah. uh, director of scouting. He's there you go. going to make Boom. A, a big pick. Uh, so it's going to be it'll be really interesting to see. Like, personally, I think everything I've seen from Carberry, uh, you know, seems like he's qualified. Just like the buzz around him seems there. Halpern, 
you know, if, if he's not hired by, I think you like he should be hired this offseason. It feels. It seems yeah. like he, both these guys are like guys who have who have done their time. It seems like it's time. Yes. You know? Yeah. So we'll we'll have to see. Um, all right, Ryan. Last week I I I got you with is it a succession quote or is it a uh, Arrested Development quote? Uh-huh. Um, also, I have not seen the latest episode of Succession. That's actually what I will okay. be watching when I get home from Good the podcast. Know. Good to know. Um, uh, but you now have rapid fire. I have rapid fire. Yes. I, I'm wondering, and I'm worried now because the last time we did we did this game where you had it, you really got me. It's true. And uh, now my confidence is shaken. So let's okay. see. Well, what I'm going to we build you back up because okay. that's what leaders do. That is what leaders do. Um, Just to tear me down again. I love it. Exactly. Let's go. Yeah, it's like the dirty dozen. Um, okay. First question. Mm-hmm. Describe your personal style in three words. When you're just out and about, not necessarily in the office. Comfort over style, that's what I'll say. Yeah. Or um, borderline homeless chic, <laughs> I would say. Derelict? You know, dare, yeah, derelict, yeah. if you will. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a big fan of like, you know, buying, buying like I, I always try and buy my shirts like one or two sizes too big. Uh-huh. You know, I, I but I do enjoy like the one part of my body I'm very confident about is like the thighs and the legs. I played, gotcha. you know, just like you. It, it, when you run a marathon, it basically stays there forever. Hey, so okay. I, I, so when it comes to the, and I think the new sort of like trend um, that I'm thankful is 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 in a, in effect now because I like it. It's like big baggy sort of t-shirt, but like like you know five inches seam shorts, gotcha. and that's just what I wear all summer, and mm-hmm. I, I love it. it. You know, so it's uh yeah, I would say personal style. It's that I like wearing hats. You know, I, yeah. I really, I have, it's funny, there's a, there is a, um, I'm maybe not a huge fan of like her comedy, but her show inside Amy Schumer was very funny, Amy oh, yeah. Schumer. Yeah. Um, and they, they did a spoof, a reality show spoof of Say Yes to the Dress, but it was, but it was girlfriends dragging boyfriends to a store to say fine to the shirt. Nice. Because it's like where the guy goes fine, and it's like uh, that, the designated shirt. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's the second week in a row I've worn this shirt. So like, clearly this is my shirt. Yeah. So I'm very much like I have, I have like three or four hoodies that I cycle through in the summer, and I have like three or four shirts that I cycle through in the it, or hoodies I cycle through in the winter. Three or four shirts that I cycle through in the summer. It's comfortable. I like it. Nice. If I were to describe my style in three words, it would be old hardcore kid. Yes, one hundred percent. I actually high only, socks, Vans. You yeah. Know, the yeah. only difference between me now and me when I was like a teenager is my clothes fit now. Mm. Like I like I buy like mediums instead of like yeah. extra large shirts or whatever. But I actually, I was thinking, I may have t-shirts and hoodies that are older than you. Oh, almost, still, almost certainly. That I still rock. Damn. Yeah, so very much, yeah, hoodies, jeans, yeah. That's crazy. Reeboks, yeah. Yeah, I look, I, I dig it, man. Like it you, you gotta, and you gotta let the ink breathe, you know? Like it's, it's true. exactly, it's true. pretty cool. Okay, next question. Hit me. All right. What made you want to become a writer? Well, I think I think I've told you this story before, but um, I don't listen. Yeah, you don't listen. But basically, like, I I love writing just because like I play. I was like I played high level hockey as a kid, but I think there was always sort of like an undercurrent of like probably not good enough to make the NHL. So I would like fawn over like like in terms like people were looking up to, and obviously I did too. But like the Matt Sundins and the, you know whatever, I uh, and this was like pre when internet and cell phone and you know and smartphones and whatnot were like I would wait ev- eagerly for like the Globe and Mail sports section or right. like the you know because I think we had a subscription at the time or like you know the Sun had like a 20 page sports section and I would like literally walk to a convenience store and get it and, and, and read it or whatever um, 
so it like I, I ended up looking up to the like either the the sports anchors or like the the journalists like mm. they were like my heroes you right. know like, and so that was really cool and then I like I went to school I have a degree in like uh, political science and U.S. Uh, uh, constitutional studies yeah. my plan was to be a lawyer uh-huh. um, or to start going to like to law school I, I have the uh, I have the LSAT you know study books in my room to prove it right. uh, back in my childhood home and. Uh, I was doing a job. I was working as, like, I was doing an internship, like a summer internship at a firm downtown, like a property firm, but in their legal department. And my job was to audit all of their files, like their archives, um, and create a new, like, archive system for them. Because it's very important in, like, real estate and in law that, like, you have archives. Like, you're able to, because everything's precedent. You've got to be able to find them. Mm -hmm. That was the most boring job in the world. Right. And... A lot of, and also a lot of my job, like, consisted of me waiting for people to get back to me. Like, uh-huh. I'd have big spurts where I had to do all this stuff, and I had to wait for everyone to approve stuff. And I was, like, bottom on the, on the totem pole for sure. priorities. And I'm like, if I have to do this for the rest of my life, like, I will, I will jump off this building. Like, yeah. I cannot do this. And I just went, you know what? Like, I've always wanted to, to do this. I literally would, like, have my friends sneak me into Ryerson for Spirit Live shows. Like, you know, it's always been, that was always my goal. So I just started writing for free. And eventually built myself up into the point where you guys are dumb enough to hire me, and here you go. So that yeah. was, and you know, haven't looked back. But yeah, it's been basically I just ended up looking up to uh, to the writers instead of the athletes, and sometimes I get to rub shoulders with them, and then sometimes I get angry DMs from them, and who knows? There you it's go. Great. For me, it was like in high school. Me and my friends started an underground newspaper, mm-hmm. which quickly became more popular than the actual st- school newspaper. Not a high bar, of course. Uh, but that was the first time where it was like, yeah, this is something I like yeah. doing. Uh, even though, like, I would, I mean, I would not want to read those articles now. Uh, I would. They were very reactionary. Uh, mm. But having said that, it was like such a good proving ground because it was like just us. It was a very small group. And, uh, you know, we did have like accountability yeah. in what we were doing. Like we, we had accountability to each other. So it wasn't just firing off random nonsense. Uh, but that's when it was like, yeah, that's. That's what I want to do. Like, mm-hmm. that, I'm going to be a writer. So. It's cool. I feel like everyone has a certain point when they start that where you just like feel like, yeah, this is it. Like yeah. you just feel like a, a like a, a gear that has found its perfect match. Where yeah. like and just things start rolling. You're like, oh yeah, this this what's up? Yeah, like yeah. even like I say, like look, the job can be pretty demanding at times, but like even my worst day is better than the best day I had at my old job. Like Fair. legitimately. So Fair. it's it's the best. Yeah. Right. Final question, a fun one. Okay. Tacos or burritos? Who you got? Oh my goodness! This is like choosing between my two children. Like, it how am I supposed be. to? And oh, and I will say, this, I, uh, okay, like not making them, but like purchasing them. Oh. Yes. Let, let's make that distinction. Oh, then burritos for yes. sure. I mean, look, the burrito is. I I think there's a great place for like even just hard shell tacos, yeah. soft shell and hard shell, whatever. I mean, you know. I had a food court in high school, you know, with the Taco Bell in it. I, I'm, I'm not partial to a beef and cheese soft shell uh, uh, taco, but a burrito is just so versatile, man. Like you can, you, you can take yeah. it on, you can eat it on the go. You know, you can eat it with your hands. You can eat it with a fork. You can, you know, you can save it. Like it doesn't really spoil that bad too. Like, yeah. like the other day, like burrito boys on Uber Eats had a two for one, like large burrito thing. Nice. And I'm like, I'm hungry. So I ordered and I just had like a, fully ready burrito to go in the fridge. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing. Like, there it's the great, yeah. So I would say burrito, 
It's fun to make tacos just because you can get more funky with it. Sure. Um, but tacos just, they, if it's hard. expensive. Yeah, and hard shell, they crumble. Like yeah. they're so messy. I feel like you have one good bite of a taco yeah. and then the rest is just like a taco bowl that you shovel into your mouth. Yeah, I feel particularly at restaurants, tacos are never worth it. Like, no, they're not. Fru frugality wise, it's just not worth it. They, so. It seems like they, like, because we had great Mexican food in uh, at the All-Star game. Yes, in Fort Lauderdale. That was literally, like, I had a quesadilla that was literally the the best Mexican food I've ever had in my yeah, life. Best burrito I've Yeah, and the had. best burrito. Yeah, yeah, we came away from that changed man, we I did. would say. Yeah. Um, but I saw, I, you have, but I saw the table next to me, they ordered the tacos. Uh -huh. The guy took one bite of it. He, he seemed to enjoy it, but it yeah. just, like, disintegrated in right. his hands. <laughs> and I'm like, like, it's great, but, like, Wouldn't be me. it defeats the purpose. Like, the whole point is I want the, the system. It's supposed to be a vessel. Exactly. Yes. All right. There um, you go. That's rapid fire. Yeah, well, that's rapid fire, which means that's the podcast. So thank you for listening. We will be back. By the time we talk next week, we could potentially have one half or both of the Stanley Cup final uh, set. It'll be very interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Who knows what world we will live in by the time uh, the next episode comes around. But until then, have a great week. We will see you then.